This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Let's go everybody. Parshas Hazinu 5783, the last one of 5783. So here's what it says. We say, Kanesher Yo'ir Kino, like an eagle aroused from its nest. Al goes a love Yerachef, right? So it, I guess, hovers over the young little eagles. Yifros Knafav Yikocheyu, it spreads its wings and grasps them, takes them. Yisoeyu al Evraso carrying them on top of its feathers. I actually spelled Evraso over here wrong. It's with an aleph, not an ayin, but that's fine. You don't have to worry about the spelling. I'm not, this is not a test. So the Abarbanel says that the idea behind all of these psukim, all of Parsha Zinu and all of the song, which obviously is very confusing poetry, right, is to show that a Kaddish Baruch who was involved in our gula all the way through. He has been involved in the past, and he will be involved in the future gula. It's all about a Kaddish Baruch Hu taking us out. There's no person in between. There's no Malach. There's no Moshe Rabbeinu. There's nothing else. Like on the Haggadah where we don't mention a single other person. It is simply put, Hashem took us out of Mitzrayim. Moshe's name does not appear. It's all done by HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It all will be done. And in the future, no one will have any doubt. It's going to be done in such a way that no one will question it. Everybody will understand it. Says me, I'm always, this Pasuk is therefore written in future tense as much as Hazi, as much of Hazinu is. It's Yo'ir Kino, Yirachev, Yifros Kinefav, because of this reason, because it's supposed to happen in the future. This Sforno says it really is not just a telling, a foretelling of what's going to be in the future. It's also a tefillah. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, this is what you would have done on Har Sinai had they not sinned with the Eglaz of. You would have flown them in on eagle's wings. You would have taken them with your talons and brought them to Eretz Yisrael had there not been the eagle is of itself. Had there not been something that's right there. I think we have a doorstop somewhere. Does anybody know where the doorstop is? No? Oh, that's funny. Alright. By the way, there should be something that was there. That's what's going to be. They would have flown. They would have gone to Eretz Yisrael, lived there in peace. If we're, if we're not Zohar then, maybe we will be in the future. Maybe everything's going to be okay in the future itself. The Tzorah more says four parts to the Pasuk. I tried separating them into three words, three words, three words, three words. The twelve words in the Pasuk separated into these four different parts says the Tzorah more refer to the four exiles that we had going through our land. Bavel, Madai, Yavon, and Edom. And how we're going to be taken out of the last one, just like we've been taken out of the previous three. The entire song, as the Torah more says, has, tells us, it hints to everything that happened in the past, again, like the Abarbanel, and more that will happen in the future, and everything is going to be right here. If we ever really wanted to see it, we'd have to translate the puzzle completely, and everything right there. That's the idea. Thank you, Monty. I appreciate it. But that's the Abarbanel. That's the Torah. More guys. That's the idea behind both of those psukim. Now Rashi says a really crazy thing that he talks about over here. Rashi says there are three things that eagles do to their kids that can compare to what a Kaddish Baruch Hu does for us nowadays. Again, three things that eagles do for their kids. The Mizrahi says that the reason we mention all of these things is to remind God of all the chasadim, right, that he has done for us in the past that he should do in the future. That's the idea of what we're trying to do. There were many people, I guess, even at the time, that were too young to remember, which is crazy to think about, but there were so many people that had no idea what a Kaddish Baruch Hu had done for them in the past. Therefore, all of this is said. What's the first one? First, says Rashi, 
is that a Kaddish Baruch who treated them with mercy and pity, similar to how an eagle treats its children with mercy and pity. An eagle doesn't appear over its nest suddenly, just coming upon the nest and being there right in front of its kids, because that would scare the eagles. Possibly it's even jumping out of the nest itself. The eagle is a huge creature. So rather, what does it do? It Right, I guess you could say, right, what it does is hovers above the birds. It flaps its wings a little bit. It chirps to let them know that it's around, right? And then afterward, after it feels the wind, the little babies feel the wind and recognize their mother's voice, that's when the mother comes in. The baby eaglets still, by that time, will have enough power to meet their parents. They're going to be okay. That's how Rashi puts it. Similarly, the Shach says, we were not taken out of Mitzrayim immediately. It wasn't like Moshe Rabbeinu just came and said, all right, let's go, picked us all up and threw us out of Mitzrayim because we never would have lasted that way. There's no way we'd be able to follow the Torah that HaKadosh Baruch wanted to give us if Hashem would have taken us out without the preparations, without the hachanos that we had for a full year from when HaKadosh Baruch appeared to Moshe Rabbeinu until he finally took them out one year later. Without those preparations, we would have done absolutely nothing. Says the Shach, in order to receive the Torah properly, you have to be a makabel, a receptacle. Without being that receptacle, you just can't hear what the Torah is trying to tell you. You'll hear one law and you'll just be like, that's ridiculous, I don't agree with that, and throw it all out. They had to see who God was, recognize God's hand, understand the rachamim and the din that happens at the same time by a maka, and only then say, okay, now I'm going to listen to what he has to say. They weren't ready yet. So just like the eagle stops on top and waves its wings and lets the children know that it's there, Moshe Rabbeinu came in six months, three months, disappeared. According to the Medrash, Moshe Rabbeinu went away so that the people could sit there and think about what would Gula look like? What are we expecting from the Gula? What do we think it is? And only then they could believe that it was going to happen. Only then they could say to themselves, now we understand that there's something that's going to happen over here. That's why Moshe Rabbeinu first came to them and said, Pakod Pakadati, disappeared as we said, and then brought them the Makos one by one. Not all the Makos at once, because again, nobody in Bnei Israel would be able to handle what they were seeing. It would just be a crazy thing that was happening in front of them. They had to see what was happening, recognize the Mida Kenegan Mida, see the hand of Hashem through it all, and only then when they're freed. And that is a form of Rachmanus, a show that a Kaddish Baruch who cares about us enough to wait a little bit and let us see what we need to have. That's the idea that he says, that the Shach says. Now, it's Ferris Yonason, Rabbi Yonason Eibschitz, says an unbelievable addendum to this. He says, this may have been why Moshe Rabbeinu refused to go when a Kaddish Baruch Hu asked them to go down to Mitzrayim. Who would refuse that? First of all, who says no to God who chose you? Even if you're the biggest unav in the world, which obviously Moshe Rabbeinu was, the greatest of all time, right? Nonetheless, when a Kaddish Baruch Hu chooses you, you can't say no. What's the svarah? What's the logic behind such a thing? But the pshat is, is that he said to Hashem, Hashem should do it himself. The response was, if I go myself, says Hashem, they won't be able to handle it. I understand what you're thinking, Moshe. You think it's better if God goes, if God does everything. After all, all of us have had the thought, what if God would just speak to me? What if God would just do something for me? Then everything would be different. I wouldn't have any doubts. I'd have no problems if HaKadosh Baruch would just give me that message that I need to get. And what Hashem was telling him is, no, you'd have big problems. You wouldn't be able to handle it. 
You wouldn't know what's going on around you. You wouldn't be able to understand what's happening around you. That's exactly what Rabbi Yonas and Ibshit says. Had they understood at Har Sinai, right, exactly what, what was going on, they would have died immediately. They needed to be prepared. They needed to get ready for it. They needed to go in and imagine if they died at Har Sinai, they had to be brought back to life with all the preparation that they had. Imagine what would have happened if they had zero preparation. They weren't ready for it whatsoever. What's up, Matthew? Well, Moshe Rabbeinu's argument to Hashem, uh, you can do it yourself, but Hashem saying you can't. I mean, isn't that what the angels are for? We've seen them act as messengers for Hashem before. Only for people that are worthy of angels. These people were not yet roi, even for angels, let alone a Kaddish Baruch Hu. They were barely roi for Moshe Rabbeinu. And Moshe Rabbeinu obviously being the greatest human being of all time, that they couldn't, you know, they, they couldn't recognize that greatness. That also shows you there's still something missing. Because again, when you jump steps, you jump and you try to be somewhere, it's not going to happen. And that's why HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the eagle above the nest hovering above, waiting for when they're ready, and then afterward comes in. The Abarbanel says, those were the messengers, and that's the muscle of the bird chirping first. He didn't reveal himself immediately. At first, there was just a chirp, the pakod pakadati, and then there was a small nevuah, and then there were bigger nevuahs. Then the mako started coming through. That's the idea, right? Knowing that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was there, and yet not there at the same time. And that's so important to get to. That's the first one. The Panam Yafos adds on something to the Panam Yafos. Is the flaw? This is the Rebbe of the Chassam Sofer. She says that might be why a Kaddish Baruch who did not give us all the mitzvahs once. And the truth is, I've had this question for a long time. When we go along and we say that at Matan Torah we receive 613 mitzvahs, first of all, if we did receive all 613 mitzvahs, I guess that's so. I mean, over the period, it's hard to say that they received it at Har Sinai on the sixth of Sivan. I guess as time went on, they might have gotten all of them. But I, I don't know if everybody here is thought this question before, but there are many mitzvahs that are in Sefer Dvarim that it doesn't look like B'nai Yisrael got until the 40th year of the Midbar. I'm going to give an, an, just an example. Did they wear tefillin throughout the Midbar? I mean, they have a chi of tefillin. It's not mentioned until Sefer Dvarim, but there is a chi of tefillin. So did they wear tefillin when they were in the Midbar? They didn't have the chi of tzitzis, or it didn't look like they did until after the Maraglim. They weren't told about it. Now again, I'm not doubting anything. It could be that everything was said in Harsinai. But we don't see anywhere that they got together and put together a bunch of leather and they made tefillin for themselves in the midbor on Harsinai. It seems like that was relegated to later on when they would need it. We know like Peya, Leket, Shechra, those types of mitzvahs were relegated to when they came into Eretz Yisrael. Well, what about those other mitzvahs that we don't see until Sefer Devarim? But more so than that, if you look at the way the Torah goes, there were mitzvahs given to them in Mitzrayim. They got Kiddush HaChodesh. Everything they needed about the Korban Pesach and how to run a Beisden, etc. were all given to them in Mitzrayim. They left and they went to Marah. And when they got to Marah, they learned Kibbut HaVa'im. They learned about Shabbos. They learned the Chukim, right? Could be even Parah Duma, according to Rashi. And they learned about Tuma Batara. They learned about Tuma Batara. That's what they got at Marah. Then they came to Harsina and a couple days before Matan Torah was given, Moshe Rabbeinu repeated the Torah to them and gave them over from Bereshis up until Parshas Yisro. You can look that up at the end of Parshas Mishpatim in Perachov Dalit around Pasuk Hay. Rashi says he wrote down the Torah for them on the 4th of Sivan, before Matan Torah happened. And then Matan Torah is just the Aserah Hebrews. So here's the question. Why didn't Hashem just give them all 613 at once? And again, I know there's a measure that says that when they heard the Aserah Hebrews, all 613 came to them at once. And I get that. That the Ten Commandments were really just protocols for the general categories and all of them came in. But why not give them every single one all the way through? I'm sorry? 
first two and then they died and then they asked Right, which is another question. They get I know Lo Yelacho, which is say and Los says and everything came with, right? That also goes into the Machlokas. But again, why not give them every single mitzvah all at once? Why is he spreading them out? And it's the same reason, says the Panam Yathos. Because you wouldn't be able to handle it if you were told 613 at once. You'd be like, hold on here, hold on. You're going from 0 to 60, literally 0 to 613 really quickly. We had nothing, and now you're throwing all of these at me all at once like that? That's not fair. That's not fair, Claw Yisrael would say. So that, the Panam Yapo says, that they first got certain mitzvos in Mitzrayim, then they got some mitzvos at Morrow, then they got some of the mitzvos a little bit later on, and it happened one by one, little by little, until finally they were ready for what it was. The craziest thing behind this is, is that if you look at the Panam Yapos inside, he says over here that the word Yerachef, right, refers possibly to those first mitzvot that they received in Mitzrayim. Yerachif is, the Yud is for Mila, the second letter of Mila. Resh and Ches is Rosh Chodesh, and Pei is Pesach. They learned about Mila, Rosh Chodesh, and all the laws of the the Korban Pesach. All of that was given to them in Mitzrayim itself, and that's Yerachif. The Kenaf was to the mitzvot of Mara. Kibud of the aim is the Chof, the Nun is Nefesh, which he says refers to Shabbos. It's a little bit of a stretch, I understand. And Pei is Para Aduma. That's the Kenaf. And then afterward, Evraso, which I said is really with an Aleph, is the Gematria of 609 for the other mitzvos that they were commanded in Harsinai. Four new mitzvos and two of them repeated, etc. But either way, regardless, that's the idea, says the Panam Yafos, of what they got little by little until they understood them and they had to get it little by little. I think that shot works so well with this idea in Rashi that it wasn't an eagle coming down in them and then saying, here's what you got, now keep them all. It's HaKadosh Baruch Hu recognizing it. And I think we do this all the time. If you see a ger who comes into Klau Yisrael, it's obvious you cannot tell him everything all at once. They're going to mess things up. They're going to think it's more important to wash your hand with an entire cup of water than it is to keep Shabbos. They don't know what's the most important thing and what's not. So in order to teach them properly, like anybody, you have to teach them little by little. You can't just throw everything on them. You have to say, let's work on this first, and then we'll work on that first, and we'll work on that first. When Rabbi Eliezer ben Horkinus, and Pirkei to Rabbi Eliezer, went through his whole process that eventually led him to Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, and allowed him to be the person who was the Talmud Mufak of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, he wasn't ready to learn yet. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai asked him what he knew, and Rabbi Eliezer knew absolutely nothing. So what did he do? He taught him the Aleph phase and benching on the first day. And it went on. The second day, he taught him two more things, and the third day, he taught him two more things. And the rest of the day, Rabbi Eliezer spent the entire day just chazering everything he learned which allowed him to remember everything it became this borsij a pitcher a, a line pit that doesn't forget a thing and then as time went on he just kept adding and adding and adding to it becoming that person that we know is Rebbe Eliezer ben Horkinus the Rebbe of Rebbe Akiva and one of the leaders of our Mesorah if not for the fact that he was a base Shamanic he probably would be our entire Mesorah with Rebbe Yoshua but if not for that it's such an unbelievable thing that's how the Panam Yafos puts it and I think that's a beautiful idea to be able to go through all of that is the first Pshat Rashi Ellie, did you have a question before? I was just going to say that using the point of Arsenai, our connection, our marriage with Hashem, it wasn't about every last little detail. Yes and no. I, I, that's a more general idea that you're 100% right. That 
Klau, Har, Har Sinu was definitely the marriage that we had with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But there's no question that the mitzvahs were the integral part. It wasn't about just, I, I, like, I, I don't want to say it this way, but like an emotional, like, I feel connected to you now, God. It's more like, do this, and therefore you'll be connected to me. So it has to be through the mitzvahs. What are those mitzvahs? These ten for sure, but what about all the others? Where do they all come in? And I think that all comes into play with this Panam Yafos. What? Yeah, I mean, that in and of itself. That already, is, I, look, I, I'm not, like, I, I, these Midrashim obviously have a literal meaning to them, no doubt whatsoever. But nonetheless, I just want you to think about this for a second. B'nai Esau are around the mountain. I would assume they're on one side of the mountain itself right there. And Har Sinai, right, lifted itself up and put itself where? Like, B'nai Esau were all around the mountain or stretched out around the mountain. The mountain shouldn't have been big enough to cover them up completely. So what does that metric mean that Kafa lay in Harkigigis? If literally they shouldn't have been under the mountain, right? Tachtisahor, they should have been so many more people all around. Would, did the mountain stretch itself out so that it found themselves all over everybody? Just that metric in of itself takes a lot of work to understand exactly what that means, right? But it could have been literal, and everybody found themselves underneath the mountain. That's possible, also. Anyway, that's the first point. Second point. Second point the Rashi makes is that eagle parents make sure that when they do go to the nest. They don't lean down on their babies, which could kill them with their sharp talons. I don't think their weight. It sounds like from Rashi that their weight would kill them. Eagles are very light creatures. Although they look absolutely huge, they're no more than 11 to 12 pounds. No more than that. All of their bones are hollow. Feathers are really, I don't know if you've known, feathers are light really light, right? So it, they're really light animals. That's not something I think anybody would worry about. I guess they could smother the babies. But either way, the point is, is that they don't do that. What they do is, is that aside from the hovering above and flapping their wings and making it known that they're coming, they then hover above their babies themselves, touching them with the edges of their wings without really touching them. Letting them know they're there, but worried that they don't want to crush them. HaKadosh Baruch who does the exact same thing. He gives us the Torah so it wouldn't be, and as we said before, in a way that it wouldn't be too much to handle. But then he went and made sure that we're connected, but not totally connected. We have a devakus to Hashem, but not a complete devakus to Hashem. If it would be too much, that might be too much for us to handle. The Pasuk even says, how HaKadosh Baruch who came to us at our Sinai, Hashem mi Sinai bav, v'zorach mi seir lama, ufia me'ar paran. And in Chavakuk it says, Eloah mi teiman yavo, that HaKadosh Baruch who came from teiman. It's as if God came from all four sides of the world to Har Sinai to join us, as if coming in from all sides and hovering above, but never fully going down on top of them and touching. There's more to talk about with that, but I'm going to skip to the third. The third is that when they do take their babies from place to place, eagles do not carry them in their talons themselves. As You know what? I should really like time out right now. I keep calling it an eagle, and the truth is I know that everybody has a picture in their head when you hear the word nesher, which in modern Hebrew is eagle, right? It makes sense that you're talking about an eagle itself. The likelihood is that it's not an eagle. The way it's described in Chulin, the nesher, is probably what we would call a vulture, a griffin vulture to be exact. Griffin vultures are huge. They are massive creatures. They don't seem as majestic as a regular eagle seems to be, but most of the eagles in Eretzal are small. They've always been small. That doesn't mean that there wasn't an eagle that lived in Eretz Yisrael back in the day that was absolutely massive and was clearly the king of all birds. But if one would look at the birds, like you can just do it, it, it literally they have this, 
in the biblical zoo, in the birds of prey exhibit, where if you remember, you can go inside that actual exhibit and be there with all the birds there. They have a griffin vulture there and two different types of eagles inside there. The griffin vulture makes them look like little dwarves. It's huge. It's absolutely huge. And in that sense, it might seem more kingly and stately. It does fit the description in Hulin, and it's possible that's what we're talking about right here as well. Aside from that... I don't know a lot about birds. I'm more into animals. I'm not into mammals, I should say. I'm not into, like, birds as much because I I just don't like them. But I I think, I'm not positive, that eagles do carry their young with their talons, right? And they grab them and they bring them from place to place if they think there's something there. I don't know if griffin vultures are different. I don't know if we have this. Or maybe this is just, again, a type of bird that we don't know. But I do want to point that out. I'm going to call it an eagle. And I don't want anyone yelling at me that that's not right. I, do, I just don't want that because it's fine. I don't care. So we're going to do this, okay? This is what Rashi says, number three. They don't carry their babies with their feet like other birds do. Rather, they place their birds, the little babies, on top of their backs. And they don't put the birds on the edge of their wings, the knafayim, because they're afraid it's going to fall. They put them on evrasum, on the middle wings, which is right in the middle of its back, so they don't fall off. This is because other birds carry their little babies in their talons because they're afraid of eagles, and the eagles are above them. So the eagles will come down, and if the babies are on their backs, they'll swoop down, grab the babies, and go. So to save their babies, they put their babies in their talons to get it away from eagles. Eagles are not afraid of other eagles because they're the highest flying birds. What they are afraid of is people who are shooting arrows at them. So to save their babies, they don't put their babies down below because that would hurt them. They put the babies on their back so they would take the arrows instead of their babies. That's the idea behind it. That's what it means over here. So too, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, when he took us out on eagle's wings, Al-Kanfei Nesharim, is how it's described in Parshat B'Shalach, sent clouds around us to protect us, so that when the Mitzrayim were shooting arrows and blisteros, which are like missiles at us, trying to kill us at the Yamsuf, before Kriya's Yamsuf happened, the clouds hit, took in, like, grabbed in those arrows as if the mother bird is taking the arrows for the babies and then shot it back at them, made sure they suffered because of it. That's the idea that a Kaddish Baruch Hu sent his malach, sent his cloud to gobble up all of those arrows and he protected us just like the eagle protects its young. Daruga Zabosim, the Hasidic Rebbe, so he points out that the muscle is obviously not like the nimshal at all. HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't get hurt by arrows or anything that was shot at it. He sent clouds and malachim, not himself, so to speak, to be able to get there. But the eagle takes on the actual arrows that are meant for its babies and allows itself to be hurt. Why is this muscle given? What exactly does this mean? So he says the following. This is a crazy idea. HaKadosh Baruch Hu brings Kedusha to the world for B'nai Yisrael. The other nations deny that. They say, no, B'nai Yisrael are not holier because we're children of God just like they're children of God. There's no difference between us whatsoever. So why would you get affected, they say to B'nai Yisrael, more than anyone else? There's billions of non-Jews out there. Every single one of them should get Kedusha and Hashem's only giving it to you. That is an arrow to Hashem. That is what Hashem is trying to take in. It's an arrow to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, even though it, again, the understanding, it hurts him 
to bring that Kedusha to Klau Yisrael and to give that protection to Klau Yisrael when really all nations should have it, it hurts him that the other nations won't experience such a thing. And that's what the Mushal and the Nimshal are, which is a crazy idea. The Rugas goes on a little bit, but that's all we need for right over here. Next, the Rabbeinu Bakaya says another reason, this is not Rashi anymore, we got the three reasons of Rashi, another reason why Kodesh Baruch is compared to an Esher, is because as we said, there's no equal to it. It's king of all the birds. It's known as the Melech of all the Ophos. So the idea is, is that obviously, even though there are birds that are similar, there's nothing like it, right? So too, there may be Kochos, powers, or Kochavim, or Mazalos, or even Malachim, that may seem like they're doing the job that God does. Truly, there is absolutely no comparison. There is nothing that can compare to the, the the ideas of what the Nesher represents. The Pasuk in Tilem Kuf Gimohei says, Kentishchadesh Kanesher Nu Raichi, which seems to be that the Nesher renews itself. Those who know the, the, the legend of the phoenix is repeated by the Rabbeinu Bachaya elsewhere in Parshas Vayichi, I think it is, talking about how the Nesher does every 10 years or 100 years or 1,000 years, depending on the Girsa, goes up to the sun, burns off its wings, renews itself and comes back down. So too, the idea right over here is the idea is that a Baruch who allows changes in the system for things to happen, where Bechira, your own Bechira, and the influence that he allows in the world changes based on what people do. That's the concept of, concept of Tishadish, the Rukach adds, and Nesher has unbelievable eyesight. An eyesight that scientists are now really starting to understand how it works. They have telescopic eyes that are able to see things that are unbelievably far away and also see things that are right there in front of them, which is unbelievable. And yet, they don't move their eyes like we would with a telescope, like moving things out to be able to see things. Somehow, they're able to do it just by blinking, which is absolutely unbelievable. They can do both things at once. That's what eagles are able to do. Says the Rokeach, obviously that hints to the Hashgacha of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, seeing a general picture and then all the details all at once seeing everything happen from one place to the other, that a Kaddish Baruch Hu is seeing us the same way a Nesher sees everything that's going on. The Rabbin of Achaya says in Parsh Vayishlach, Yaakov Avinu sent Esav a Nesher. This is a weird medrash. It says, Min We know what he sent. The Pusik says straight out, he sent sheep, males and females. He sent cows, males and camels, males and females, maybe females and babies, whichever one. He sent goats. He sent all these different things and donkeys over to Esau. But then it says, Vayikach min He took from what came into his hand. Which some of the Forsham explained, he took whichever animals came into his hand. Those are the ones that were always meant to go to Esau. So he didn't choose animals. It was animals that came to him that he brought over to Esau. But according to the Rabbeinu Bechaya, he took an animal that goes in your hand. It's a hunting eagle or a hunting falcon, really where you put it out in your hand, you put your arm out, and the bird comes back to you. It tells you where to go, where to hunt, and what to hunt, etc. tells you exactly where to go. The Rabbeinu that says, that's what he took. That was the gift that he gave to Esau, a, a very valuable gift. The Pardes Yosef suggests that maybe this means he was hinting to Esau that we have the Hashkacha of an eagle. That we have something that a Kaddish Baruch Hu is taking care of us that you will never have. 
we will have HaKadosh Baruch Hu being there and t- finding us, seeing us, and knowing what each one of us needs individually. And that's something that you have never gotten. Maybe that's the idea of what it's supposed to refer to. And that's what he's telling Esau. I have nothing to worry about. You can't hurt me because Hashem is our eagle. And that was the hint of what he was trying to give over. Okay, now we're going to the next part. The next part of the puzzle, all of that was regarding the first part. Kinesher Yair Kino. Like an, uh, an eagle awakening its nest, which Rashi tried to explain before, right? Says to me, I'm Loez, just like an eagle wakes up and it's, and it's eaglets in the morning, the little babies in the morning, so to a Baruch who awakens our hearts to do tshuva, telling us to fast on Yom Kippur, making sure we have the possible kapara that we have, and then he spreads his wings over us on Sukkot to protect us and put us under his protection. That's the idea, that there's Yom Kippur, Kinesher Yarikino, which leads into that ultimate yif he spreads his wings over us and makes sure it's there. Such an interesting reverse. Reverse says, how does, an e- how does an eagle teach its babies how to fly? How does it do it? What does it do exactly? So what it does is, is similar to how a Kaddish who helps us, awakens us, and then expects us to have the courage to trust ourselves, to make the right choices, and to have Bechira. So to speak, the eagle sort of takes the birds and lets them hop a little bit. And then it sort of forces them to be able to start moving its wings. It would be like, and I guess Lahavdil, I don't know if this works so much, and I've never tried it with my kids. I just sent them to swimming lessons. But taking a kid and throwing them into the deep end, right? And see what happens. And sometimes it works. And sometimes, I don't know, sometimes the eaglets are able to get out. And sometimes the eaglets are not there. But in a way... That is a way for a Kaddish Baruch Hu to let people know that they're ready to fly. And I know that's a little bit of a pun. But the concept is, is that a Kaddish Baruch Hu is giving them the courage, giving them the ability to jump off and do what he needs to do. So that's the young eagle. The young eagle is sitting safe in its nest. It's nice and warm. It has everything it needs. The food is being given to it, right? He's that 21-year-old who just won't leave the house, won't leave mommy and daddy's house because he's got everything taken care of, right? And all of a sudden, what do the parents do? The parents say, you're out. Go out. Do what you need to do and takes him and brings him somewhere. And one hand, it's cruelty. How could you do that? Right? That person, how in the world could it be? But no, it's that there is a true chesed behind that, that when the person needs to see that next step, when they need to take it, and they won't do it on their own, in order to take that next step, they allow them to get out there and say, okay, here's what you need to do. And that's the idea behind it. That's the awakening that is happening over here. The Akedah says that this Pasuk shows that all the Yisurim, Anything bad that a Kaddish Baruch Hu has given us is all B'derech Limud. And it's the same idea that Reverse is trying to say over here as well. It's the idea, again, an eagle, he says, will drop babies from a high spot. And if they don't make it, they'll swoop down below and catch them on their Evraso, on their backs, and then try it again until the eaglet is ready to go, until it's ready to learn exactly how. And again, it's the same thing. HaKadosh Baruch is going to drop us. And sometimes those Yisurin, those bad things that happen, make us feel absolutely horrible. Like HaKadosh Baruch who's not there, he's not taking care of us. But the truth is, every time before we hit the ground, the eagle, HaKadosh Baruch is swooping down below, picking us up, and making sure we have everything we need. That's the idea. Yeah, David. So, I, I, I guess I understand it's a muscle, but like, what is the idea of us flying or being independent. We're not, we can't ever fly and we're never independent. Being able with our Bechira, and that's why I said the, the wording of Bechira, to allow us to think that we can make these decisions on our own and we don't need Hashem to make us good people. 
we can become good people on our own, making the right decisions. Some people might think, like, if I stay home, if I don't go out, if I don't get involved with other people, it might be easier. I won't have to worry about things. That, Akash Baruch was like, you're good. You can do this. Get out there, figure it out, make things on your own, so to speak, while HaKadosh Baruch Hu is in the background as opposed to HaKadosh Baruch Hu forcing you to do something. That's what it means by this. Okay, so it's a super interesting way of looking at it. That's that. Parties also asked the question again. He's like, a nesher is a not kosher bird, whatever it is, whether it's an eagle, a hawk, or a vulture, it's not a kosher bird. Why in the world are we comparing HaKadosh Baruch Hu to something that is not kosher? And the idea is, is because again, it isn't kosher for a certain reason it's carnivorous, that it eats other birds, and that's a bad thing. But it has a tremendous midah, and that midah is the rachamim that it has for its kids, and its willingness to give up its own life for its kids, putting them on its back. So too, when we see those xeros rows that are coming out against us, we have to understand that a Kaddish Baruch who is there behind us the whole way through, and that's the idea. The Makach Tov, he brings down, he quotes the Bubba Rebbe. You might think it's cruel to wake a child up from his sleep, and for him to get dressed and go learn Torah. But everybody knows that that's exactly what the child needs to be successful in life. And even if he's four, five, six years old, to get him ready and to get him out there and to do what he needs to do by going to school, etc., that's that. He won't be lazy, won't be spoiled, won't be privileged, because we all have that white privilege going for us. This reasons that we have leads to every good mita in that book of Avodah Hashem. That's the idea behind it. And that's what Rashi hinted to earlier, that it goes and wakes up the children right over there. Now, there is an Ibn Ezra that refers, that says, the goes of Yorachet refers to the, the Anani Akavod that they had. The Malbim and the Nitziv both have ideas that, again, sort of repeat these ideas the way before. But I'm going to go with the Orachim Akadosh and the Kliyakr to end this off. The Orachim Akadosh says there are three other lessons to be learned from this Pasuk, totally separate from what Rashi and the other Rishonim said. Kinesher Yuri Kino refers to a lesson that we actually learned by Tsaras, right? That when a Kurdish Baruch wants to punish people for their sins, first he hits their house, and if they don't learn the lesson, he hits their clothing, and if they don't learn the lesson from that, then the Tsaras hits their bodies. Now, we don't actually see this. There never was Saras about him. There was Saras on people. We never actually saw this process go through. But clearly, the Medrash is telling us that a Baruch Hu will send you messages from all around to let you know if you've done something wrong, he's not going to hit you directly first. He's going to hit you indirectly so you can see what's happening, and then from there, try to figure out what you should do. So here's the idea behind it. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is me'orer a person by first hitting Kino, his nest his house, the area that he's in. If that doesn't work, I'll go to love your on, again, in the way that it says by Tsaras is the begadim of a person, the clothing of a person. Gozalov would be the children of a person. He'll hit the things around you. Chas v'shalom, a child becomes sick or a child starts thinking a different way and the parents don't understand what's happening. All of a sudden that happens, that hits the metalton. Again, it's a message not only to the child, it's a message to the parents themselves. And it could be that that's enough. If things are necessary, then it goes to the end of the Pasuk, while it's al-evraso, which are his hevarim, his own limbs get hit. And that's the lesson, says the Orachim HaKadosh, of how the Pasuk is worded to be able to go through. But not only that, he says, Yifros Kenafav, at any point, if a person realizes, oh my gosh, I know what I've done wrong, and I know i got to work on this. Yifros Kenafav, HaKadosh Baruch who spreads out his wings, so to speak. There's a hand that's reaching to be able to cobble somebody in tshuva, as you said earlier, you know, earlier today, we said, when's the last time when you can do tshuva? Yom Kippur, some say Oshana Rabbah. 
Some say Zos the first day of Hanukkah. Others say Zos Hanukkah. It just keeps going. You still have that chance because the hand of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is always outstretched, ready to take you at any point. And that's learned out from Yifros Kapov. And finally is Kinafayim. He says, Kinafayim is not just a word that refers to wings of a bird. It refers to a certain type of a malach that will take any bracha or good thing that a person does and flies it up to a Kaddish Baruch Hu and puts it by the Kisya HaKavod. Yisol Eyu al Evraso is that a Kaddish Baruch Hu allows our good deeds, the ones that we recognize and even the ones that we don't recognize, to be flown up on eagle's wings all the way up in front of a Kaddish Baruch Hu to be makabal the good that's right there. The final thing is the following. The Kliyakar points this out. I mamish never would have thought of this. In the beginning of the Pasuk, it's clear that the bird is hovering over the babies. The mother is on top, flying above the babies. But at the end of the Pasuk, according to Rashi, the baby is on the mother's back. It puts the baby on top. So which one is it? Is the mother on top of the baby, or is the baby on top of the mother? What an interesting thing to think about. There's both parts are in this Pasuk, and they're both super obvious. So it's clear, and this is how the Kliyakar puts it. There are some people... When people that just absolutely need to be protected, and they have no schuyos of their own, and that's when a kaddish baruch who steps out in front, stands on top of them and protects them. But there are other people, tzaddikim, who are able to take care of themselves. They, so to speak, are riding on the eagle's back, and the concept is is that sometimes people's bechira, our own free will, is influenced by what a kaddish baruch who wants to decide upstairs. Where a Kaddish Baruch who decides something and your free will is influenced by that. And you're not powerful enough to be able to get around it. Right? When it comes to certain things that happen in our lives, we don't feel like we have free will. Hashem is sort of pushing you in a certain direction. But Sadiqim can ride above that and make decisions that literally influence the balance of the world. They can do things that allow a Kaddish Baruch Hu to change the direction of everything. If you're riding on top of the eagle, think of it as you're pulling the reins and telling the eagle where to go. There are some unbelievable Sadiqim that have the ability to literally tell God this is what's going to happen. Sadiq Gozer, a Sadiq makes a decree, Vashem Nakayim. And those are the two parts. Says the Kliyakar, at first, you may be a little baby who needs a Kaddish Baruch Hu to watch over you. But in the end, we hope that you end up being that eagle that's riding on the mother's back. The eagle that's able to make sure that everything is happening the right way. Almost like a marionette, where the eagle becomes your direction. You show it the directions it needs to go to become the person that you need to be. That's an unbelievable idea from the Kliyakar. It's such an unbelievable muscle. But either way, the idea behind this entire passage is clearly about this. If you want, for those who remember, I did give another shear about eagles. It's in Parshas Re'e this year. You can combine those two together. I wasn't here for it. That's the reason I was in Eretz Yisrael when it happened. So Avi, don't worry. I know you weren't there for it. But it is on Torah Anytime and on my website. So it is there, right? But you can combine those two together. I actually spoke about this Rashi then as well. So I'm, this is like my eagle year. So I'm like all in, okay? I'm all in for eagles right now. I'm going to try to get a third share about eagles soon. Like I really, really want... I, I don't know if I have time to do it. But the Bereshish year, I was wondering if I should do it on the Phoenix and just knock it all out and just not worry about eagles for the rest of my life. But I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to do that. Just go ahead, guys. Have a great job. What? You just get an eagle like a pirate. You can have a
Yeah, you know, no, no, I was, for sure, I was talking to Rachel about that. I was like, why don't we just get an you know, eagle? I was to school. I was, like, looking at it. I really no, you didn't. Go. Come on. In California, you can learn how to do the Nobody, Nobody's going to school. You have to capture, get your own 